As guests on the podcast live around the country and the world, you may hear an occasional click and at times ambient sound in the interviewee space. My apologies in advance for any of these sounds that may appear in the podcast. Today, I would like to welcome Asmita Agarwal to the podcast. Asmita is the former editor-in-chief of the fashion magazine L'Officiel India. Prior to that, she was a writer for the Hindustan Times, and then the Asian Age, heading the Chennai and Bangalore editions as a national features editor. A leading women's rights advocate, Asmita now writes for the Fashion Design Council of India. Asmita, welcome to the podcast. So I'm tech-challenged. I live in the Stone Age. I still am not on Instagram or on Facebook or on Twitter. I've maintained that um, distance from social media. And I think it's the reason why I'm still sane. Probably. It's healthy, I think, in some ways to stay away. But interesting, given your career. I'm a voracious reader, so I read everything. So I think that uh, you don't need to be on social media. You just need good reading skills. It's what I was brought up with, and I think that helps you in the end. Yeah, certainly. I was brought up to read as well. My mom always had two or three books around the house. Absolutely. It was a great way to grow up. Yes, absolutely. There's nothing quite like that escape. Yeah, and I think what's missing in today's generation is the will and the need to read. That's an excellent point. I would agree, and then I'll sort of perhaps read beyond the boundaries of what you're sent by your Google algorithm or some other device that decides to send you the things that you've been looking at and not expanding your horizons. Correct. How do you see magazines functioning in this era? Do you see them taking on an importance given the need to read and have something tangible or becoming less important? I think print media is going to face um, larger issues because they are very heavily dependent on visuals, very heavily dependent on trends, very heavily dependent on beautiful people, beautiful images. And I think women in India, I'm talking about India specific, Yes. women in India, and I think all over the world like seeing beautiful things. It's got to do with the aspirational angle of it. But having said that, I mean, I bought the Vogue illustrated issue, which they had done, Vogue Italia. It was beautiful, right? They illustrated those beautiful covers and they had spoken about They changed the entire content, they tuned the entire content, considering how the pandemic is going to affect a large part of our lives, every part of our life, every fabric of our life. So I think that if you're able to adapt and evolve with the changing times, magazines will survive. Not everybody, but I think that I've been reading a lot of Guardian. I'm a big fan of Guardian newspaper. And I think they do some of the nicest and the most uh, gutsy stories. I also like New York Times. I read Washington Post. I'm a big fan of Atlantic. I like their long-form stories. I like New Yorker. I think anyone who's able to adapt to the changing times, you know, it's going to be survival of the fittest. So magazines will have to move away from this need of glamour tinting everything, looking at everything through rose-tinted glasses and taking those off and putting on some reality shades Hmm. to look at how, uh, you know, women will look at fashion, how women will look at need-based, essential-based fashion. And the travesty is that fashion is not an essential item. And in India, 60% of the population below poverty line, the GDP is 2.5%. We don't have clothes, we don't have food, we don't have transport, we don't have petrol, we don't have houses, we don't have hospitals, we don't have healthcare. So I think fashion is going to become really, really way down. So we have larger realities to look at. So I don't know how intelligent 
uh, fashion magazines are going to get at this time. But if you don't use intelligence at this time, then you're going to perish. And and you think that's particularly evident in India, given the need to survive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody's buying print because we have a rather large population and anything can spread it. Newspapers have reduced their newsprint from 25 pages to 10 pages to 8 pages to 2 pages. So the need for newsprint, the need for magazines, the need to hold something, the physicality of it, I think, is going to disappear and evaporate in the near future. Digital is the future. And for people like me who have not embraced uh, you know, the digital culture, we're going to have to reinvent the wheel. I have a friend who used to be the photo editor at Vogue Turkey in Istanbul. And mm-hmm. when I talked to her a few years ago, she said that they created that magazine for a very small section of people in their country, mm. primarily in city centers like Istanbul, mm. and they had small runs. So is it the same thing in India, given the percentage of the population? Is, uh, are the fashion magazines created for a small portion of the population? I think that um, it's created for women of a certain section of society, women who have money, you know, the upper middle class, the rich, the affluent, who are looking at buying luxury, which is a very small population in India, Thomas. I don't know if you're really aware of how India works. You know, the luxury market is restricted to probably the 7 or 10%, the cream. The rest of the 90% are still horse and cart. We're still understanding luxury. Our luxury is limited to Louis Vuitton. It hasn't graduated to Hermes and Celine and Chloe and Dries Van Norton and Balenciaga and Betamore and Sakai. It's restricted to very branded, very logo. To buy a brand because you want everyone to know that you're holding that brand. So we come from a very different um, mind space and a very different aesthetic of why we buy a brand. So we have to understand that when we are looking at at Indian magazines. So you'll see very few Celine ads, or I don't think if people know what Betamore is, or what Sakai is, or what Junior Watanabe is, or what Kumde Gasko did, or how Yohoji Yamamoto changed the whole concept of looking at how women dress. So uh, that's all a new thing in India. I mean, of course, younger generation, I mean, I teach at two top fashion colleges in India, Nift and Pearl, which are one of the biggest fashion colleges in India. And even there, the most read magazine, unfortunately, is Vogue. It's not Dazed and Confused. It's not a Gentle Women. It's not Another. It's not Violet, one of my favorite magazines. Tank, I love Tank. I love how they do their content. Beautiful content. I mean, it's fashion, but it's so steeped and rooted and soaked in reality, right? They have a book section. And I also think that fashion magazines in India try to look down at Indian women. I think I'm a very smart, intelligent, well-read woman. I came from a middle-class academic family. Both my parents were professors. But I got interested in fashion because I intellectualized fashion. I looked at the backstory of fashion. I looked at the storytelling, the narrative of fashion. I didn't look at the overt glamour of fashion. Right. So you also have to look at how each magazine is talking to the reader, right? Yes. Vogue talks to a specific reader, wear high heels, wear red lipstick, you're cool. But Tank talks to a reader in a different way. Violet talks to a reader in a different way. Their stories of domestic abuse, women empowerment, anti-trend. I think that what makes a difference is how you skew your content. What is the section of people 
your content is aimed at and i think indian magazines kind of look down in indian women we are far 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 more evolved than what shade of lipstick we need to wear and you're going to recommend it to us right i know what shade of lipstick i'm going to wear but give me something more than that so i think indian magazines haven't graduated to that level of you know a dazed and confused or a violet no that's the travesty i feel in indian fashion honestly that's extraordinary and i think it's interesting to me that a lot of young people aren't attracted to dazed and confused or tank or another or gentlewoman which is content that a lot of young people at least in new york are attracted to because it is an alternative to the mainstream magazines they do read vogue and i have to say vogue italia has always been one of my favorite magazines it's always been one of my favorites too because of what franca suzani did how she looked at fashion how she wanted to change the world how she wanted to move away from just looking good and i think fashion you know thomas is not just about looking good it's a philosophy it's an ideology it's a deeper thinking it has more gravitas it's just that you know at the risk of saying this i've been reading a lot of what mr taddy has been saying about anna wintour and and some of the things that he says are actually pretty true it is a cold country out there fashion is it's a cold place and i've been working in fashion for 27 years and when i started there was no fashion in parentheses to say uh, there was only one page and we used to call that soft news so all the girls were sent to do it because we were not hard enough to handle hard news it was always a girls thing to do fashion so it was very gender specific and it was very sexist to say the least and it was very interesting to see the growth of fashion in my 27 years to now we have a booming industry of made in india of weavers of handcrafted things it's no secret that from elisa to jean paul gautier to you know the biggest largest fashion designers get their embroidery made from bombay and from delhi whether it's chanel or is gucci nyt did a beautiful expose a few months ago on how this absolute exploitation of those embroiderers by these massive fashion houses who get everything made in india but there's never the made in india logo there it's still considered cheap even because we are a labor intensive industry right? right we work on labor we pride on labor we have the most skilled craftsmen in india i also have to say that you know west always looks at at only one aspect of india we have some very beautiful things to offer we have handmade in india we weave every state every region has specific weave which is beautiful and that somehow is never spoken about in the west which is i feel a very i would say an imbalanced way of looking at the fashion industry you know we have some very small very vulnerable designers i don't know if you know of fashion design council of india which is what i work with and i've been working with it's the biggest council in india uh, which looks at uh, design and which is a conglomeration of designers at least 400 500 designers i've been writing their blog for the last 11 years and i also work as a consultant with them and they've started this covid support fund which i think is a fantastic initiative to help designers who are going to perish and and the worst is that the small and medium designers are going to be hit the worst because they work on small orders the big designers like sabisachi mukherjee or tarantelliani or sunit varma who have established businesses established networks management staff consortium of funds they can fall back upon but the worst hit are the small so they started this fund some people are doing some great work in india but the industry is going to change phenomenally thomas post pandemic i think if this pandemic will end as who says that it might never end it will be like hiv it's always going to lurk around us 
So there's a lot to wait and watch. Nobody can make a sweeping statement about fashion. Every industry is hit. It's not just fashion. It's just that fashion will be worst hit because it's really down the food chain. It's not part of the essential products. Well, it's not a necessity. And as you say, a lot of the small companies, small designers and small suppliers along the supply chain will be the first to go. And that's a shame. Absolutely. In India. Yeah. Yeah. And I read a very interesting story in Guardian, which says 33% of the British fashion industry is going to be wiped out because of the pandemic. So it's not just India, it's all over the world. You know, because the customer is unpredictable. Yes. And a lot of people talk about revenge buying. I see NYT doing a story on revenge buying. A lot of people, you know, to get over the depression because fashion is therapeutic if you look at it. Yes, it is. It is therapeutic for a lot of people who are suffering from anxiety and depression and who are And I think it's the strongest mode of self-communication. It's the strongest medium of communication. How you dress is how people perceive you. I think that's going to change post-pandemic too. How you utilize fashion to express yourself? Do you think because we'll be out less? I think that there'll be a lot of changes in our mind spaces. Earlier, everything was about how you look. I think now it's, you know, everyone's facing financial crunch, Thomas, and people are not getting salaries in India. I don't know how it's in the West, but there's a lot of people who've been told to leave their jobs, uh, not just go without pay, but a lot of people have just been asked to leave in five hours or 10 hours of them going to work. So I think big companies, big media houses, they'll be able to pay salaries two months, three months, four months, five months. But what about after that? So how we dress is going to also reflect how we feel. And we're not feeling very good right now. That's true. I would say one's going to have to wait and watch how fashion really pans out in the near future. It is impossible to say. So to give people a little background, you've worked with a number of India's leading publications. Yes. You know, I had a very interesting childhood, Thomas. Both my parents were professors. My father was the editor of one of the biggest newspapers in India called the Economic Times. My mother was a professor of literature in um, one of the biggest Indian universities called Delhi University. I grew up in a very, very middle-class family. I had two pairs of jeans and uh, very limited exposure to fashion. I didn't even know what cosmopolitan means or how to pronounce it. If you'd asked me 30 years ago, what did Comde Gasso, I wouldn't know. And I wouldn't know how to pronounce it. I mean, I didn't know of these cool things 30 years ago. Everything what I've learned is educating myself. And learning myself. I never went, Thomas, to a fancy school. My parents couldn't afford it. I never went to a fashion school. I learned everything on my own. Everything. The one who cuts the forest knows the challenges of the wild. Right? So I know the challenges of the wild because I did everything myself. I was a academic uh, scholar. I did very well in school and college and I, I studied on scholarships. I was a time school trainee. Time school is one of the biggest schools. And I got a job in Times of India after that. But my father was in Economic Times and I didn't want to be under his shadow. It was the same company. So I branched out and I applied for a job in one of the biggest newspapers in India called the Hindustan Times. And we launched the first, so to say, fashion and lifestyle supplement in 1996 called HT City, which the city had never seen before, the country had never seen before. I did that and I moved on to launch another weekly supplement called Brunch. And then there was a new paper which was being launched by one of the most important journalists of our times, a legend called Mr. Akbar. I just liked the way he wrote. I just thought he was a fabulous writer. And I left my secure job to join a newspaper, which was just starting because I was such a big fan of his. 
I thought he was one of the most uh, legendary journalists and I'll get to learn a lot from him. And I did. I learned how to give headlines, trap lines, cut, copy, edit, which nobody would have taught me. He was a hard taskmaster. And I appreciate that. He used to make us cry every single day. He used to cut my copy. He used to tell me, Miss Agarwal, please come with 20 headlines next time. And I used to sit till one o'clock and think of 20 headlines. But today, that's helped me because I know how to give a headline in a jiffy. Yes, yes. Right? So I did that and then I went on to become Cosmopolitan Editor and then I went on to become L'Officiel Editor. And then I launched many newspapers, many blogs. I work with the Fashion Design Council of India. And I, I've launched many magazines. I've relaunched newspapers. So my experience has been vast. And I think the greatest point in my career, I would say the pinnacle is teaching young generation. When I go to NIFT, National Institute of Fashion Technology, and I've launched courses for them, like creative writing, storytelling. I've done the syllabus for them. It's an absolutely fulfilling experience. It's better than writing a copy. Because you're dealing with young, ignited minds who look at fashion through a very interesting prism. And that's very endearing for me to see how they think, how they and I are absolutely opposite. I work with a pen and pencil till now. I don't use my phone. And how when I'm teaching them something, they're typing on their phone. And I tell them, leave your phone aside. Leave your computer aside. Leave your iPad aside. Let's get a pen and paper. Let's write. Let's do it the traditional way. So how their brain works and how my brain works is very interesting. It's an interesting conundrum, you know. I, I think the young generation has taught me how important Instagram is. And every day they convince me, Asmita, ma'am, get on Instagram, get on Facebook. And I tell them, no, I, I'm going to read everything and I, I'm going to know more than you, despite not being on Instagram. I start reading groups where I send them all the stories I read because I'm a voracious reader. I read everything, everything I read. I started reading groups where I send them links of stories to read. Because I think what's missing is good syntax, good grammar, good punctuation, good writing style. Instagram has killed vocabulary. SMS has killed vocabulary. WhatsApp has killed love amongst other things. But I would say vocabulary is what it's killed. You know, traditional good writing is, is a dinosaur now. And I try to revive that when I teach at uh, fashion schools, that good writing, good grammar, good punctuation, comma, full stop where you take pauses in sentences, good headlines, smart headlines, smart words, turn of phrase, synonyms, antonyms, don't repeat the same words, small paras, crisp writing. I think that's what's missing in today's generation. But it's a very interesting time to be in, especially for a person like me, who's seen the bridge between the old school and the new school. It is. Well, they're very lucky to be able to study with you. They'll leave with skills, even in the Instagram, Facebook, social media world that will help make them more successful in ways they don't yet understand. And I think like great imagery, great writing will have its place in the fashion world without question. Yes. Unfortunately, visuals have taken over. Where When I started my career, it was a good story. We read a good story. We always remembered it. Ten years down the line, I still remember Susie Menke's Circus of Fashion. She's amazing. It was one of the funniest stories I read. I still read it out to my class. Yeah. Leandra Midian's reply to it. I still read it to my class can be very respectfully critical. You can very respectfully disagree. You don't need to use expletives. You don't need to be mean. You don't need to be nasty. You can be very, very, very polite and say your point. And I think that's the beauty of words. And that's the beauty of writing. I came from a generation where you have to respect people's point of view, right? And you have to respect your opponents and you have to respect people who disagree with you. 
you know, in a world of individuals, as Khalil Gibran said, comparison is meaningless, right? We're all individuals, right? Thomas, we all have our perspectives and you have to respect person's ideas and opinions and you don't have to push your ideas, your opinions on somebody else. It's a democracy, it's not fascism. So when people troll and people say nasty things, I'm quite taken aback. Hiding behind your computer under a false name. I would agree. I think there's a certain intellectual censorship that's going on from both the left and the right that makes it difficult to engage in real conversation uh, without attack. Absolutely. And it breaks my heart, really. Absolutely. 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 So I find that new media also has its challenges. For a person like me who loves the feel and smell of a book, who used to put flowers in the book as bookmarks, and I love dog ears and I love yellowing pages, I don't know, you know, if somebody even gave me a Kindle, would I really enjoy reading on a Kindle? My son bought me an iPad because he told me don't read on your phone. But I still pick up a book, you know, I'm best friends with the bookshop owners. I I like to feel the book. I think that that's what's missing. I mean, our libraries and fashion colleges are not well stocked. They need to be well stocked, Thomas. The young generation needs to read interesting books, interesting magazines. They need to widen their horizons. They don't need to be stuck with a Vogue India which puts Bollywood stars on the cover and which is restricted to beautiful women, which photoshops women, which cakes up women, which objectifies women, which puts women in skimpy clothes. No, they need to see the other side of fashion, which is more inclusive, which is more body positive, which has a voice, which is talking about the real women, their problems, which is not just about looking beautiful, Thomas. Women have a lot of other problems. Did you have challenges bringing this dialogue to L'Officiel or Cosmopolitan or the Council of Fashion Designers? Is that had to be mediated in those forms? I think readers need to be educated. If you give them good content, they will respond to good content thoughts. But, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer, right? There has to be seismic changes when you want to bring about bigger changes. But I think that your drop in the ocean does count. So... I did try that. In Cosmopolitan, I started something called Women Warriors, called Cosmopolitan, C-A-U-S-E, Cosmopolitans. So I spoke to women who face challenges. So I tried to do content which was interesting, which was meaningful, which made a difference to women's lives. But I don't know how many takers were there. I mean, it was greatly appreciated. Unfortunately, Thomas, can I be really honest with you? A lot of magazine companies fudge readerships. You know, in India, they don't tell you the real readerships. They always try to tell you more than more readers than they actually have. But the real truth is that they're more digital readers than they're print readers. Considering magazines, because it's a very niche segment. If you ask any so-called educated fashionista in India, who is Reka Vakubo, for example? She will say, who? But if you ask a Louis Vuitton, they'll say, of course I know Louis Vuitton, because you get fakes of it everywhere. And everyone wants a fake Louis Vuitton. You know, Thomas? That's well put, yes. So our education in fashion is what is missing. We need to educate the young generation. and, And that's why I think fashion schools have a big role to play. But I think Fashion Design Council of India is very forward thinking. And it's one of the most forward thinking bodies in India. It's doing really good ground level work. It's also thinking of doing the first digital fashion week in India this June or July. They're still considering all the various facets of it, but it'll be the first body to do so, which I think is a very progressive step. 
which is a very good step because you have to look at alternatives. Well, and particularly and for younger and more remote designers or the people you're talking about that you like to give some visibility to in addition to better known designers. Absolutely. And also, Thomas, considering the financial problems designers, how many people can really put in so much money in a fashion show, in a physical fashion show? I don't think they have the money. Because cost of fabric, rents, wages, it's really, really weighing them down. So looking at all this, I think a digital fashion week really works. It makes sense. And I think a number of fashion weeks will be challenged. A lot of the smaller designers who were recently showing at those venues won't be able to afford the ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollar. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. Oh go on, please. And I also think that that's the future. Digital is the future, though I think that the feel of a real fashion show, Thomas, nobody can ever take away the experience of a real fashion show. Considering that I've been seeing it now more than 20 years in India, the feeling is, is absolutely different. No amount of digital interface can change that feeling. The atmosphere, the charisma, the music, the lights, the, oh. the clothes, up close and personal. It, it's a different feeling altogether. There's a magic you know? when you're at a great show. I was absolutely. able to see Valentino, Lagerfeld, you're in that room and there's, it's absolute art and you're experiencing yes. it in the space. And the models it's at magical. that point are extraordinary. There is a true magic to yes. extraordinary yes. fashion when it's presented Absolutely. on the runway. Absolutely. Anything by McQueen was yes, yes. genius. Yes. I would have yes. loved to have experienced one of those moments. Absolutely. I'm, I'm also a big fan of Margiela, Thomas. I've always liked Martin Margiela. I look forward to watching his documentary. I've always liked the fact that you can just give up everything, be anonymous in a world which is full of vanity, which is full of me to me to me to watch me, watch me, look, look at me in 10 different dresses. Look at me. I look so beautiful. You know, Marshall, I just completely overturned the whole idea of that. And I find that particularly riveting for the lack of a better word. I'm the biggest fan of Margiela. Um, his incognito glasses, the way he looked at Ken and Barbie, the way he looked at making clothes out of subway posters recycling things, upcycling things 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when nobody was even thinking about that. I think that is magical, Thomas. And we need more designers to think of that. He was the architect of sustainability 50 years ago, 60 years ago. And to give it all up and just to disappear and never to come on the ramp and never to say, watch me, look at me, I'm so great. And not have that piece of that spotlight, which everyone craves for in fashion is truly genius. I think we need to find ways for young designers to address those issues in innovative and unique ways as he did, not imitative ways, which is a lot of what I see coming out of fashion school sometime or young designers trying to imitate certain styles or things they're told. I think you really need that unique individual who innovates in ways that others aren't. Absolutely. They also say imitation is the best form of flattery though. I, well, indeed, but you don't want yes. to be the imitator. You want to be the one being <laughs> absolutely. flattered. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 That, a lot of that happens in India also. We have many designers who are known to do that. Like they have diet Prada, we have diet Sabya in India, which is calling out a lot of the designers who are imitating and who are copying, you know, designs from the West and within India. How have you evolved personally and professionally over the arc of your career? That's a very good question, Thomas. Personally, I would say I've become a recluse. I uh, have confined myself to more reading, less interacting with people, uh, more observing, uh, more evaluating, more analyzing, talking less, listening more, 
professionally i have become a big fan of subculture magazines i've uh, moved away from the vogues and i've moved away to more tank and dance and distilled infused violets and gentle women and i think my reading tastes have really changed i love hadley freeman and the way she writes for guardian how beautifully she writes how she's able to criticize i've started admiring gutsy people because i think the new generation needs to be gutsy i think the new generation needs to be unafraid i think media companies needs to change media companies need to give journalists a more free hand to write to criticize unfortunately most designers in india are best friends with media company owners so if you criticize them you're going to lose your job right so you have to be very careful in india when you're writing right thomas and i'm saying this out of experience so what i've done now is rather than criticizing i have developed a sense of humor if i don't like something i make fun of it rather than criticizing 20 years ago i would just criticize slam i would you know be uh, mean i would say mean things in print now i've evolved as a person i've learned to ignore and i've developed a sense of humor so if i don't like something i criticize it humorously i've developed a new strategy so if you're really smart you'll understand that i'm actually making fun of you i'm not admiring you so that is a personal development because i think that criticism has to be productive it, it mustn't be um, nasty and when i was young i was a very ballsy journalist my horns would be out but now i've kind of sobered down i think over 27 years i've realized that you know you have to give people space you have to develop a sense of humor you have to say that okay fine maybe that works for them it doesn't work for me so i i would say i've become mature for the lack of a better word right which i wasn't so 20 years ago or 25 years ago fair enough that's wonderful and what is one thing you've learned along the way uh personally or professionally let's go with one of each okay personally i've learned that um reading is never going to die content is king no matter you have how many instagrams you have how many instagram followers you have twitter you're on facebook i'm anonymous i'm nowhere if you google me thomas you won't find me anywhere but i still get called to the best schools to teach i still get called to the best publications to write because content is king everyone knows what's important now thomas more than ever is gravitas in depth knowledge because that's never going to go away you know i have a lot of magazine editors who wear lipsticks who get free gifts who get free clothes who sit on the front row wearing free clothes i've never done that in 27 years i've said why should i be a brand ambassador of your label absolutely not you know why should i be sold off to your label absolutely not my byline should always have the power you should always be afraid of what i'm going to write i'm not for sale right That's so i think that is the biggest power of a journalist and i've realized that i realized that over a period of time people are going to respect you for who you are and what you write not how you dress they'll probably forget how you dress but they'll never forget what you write it's true and i think the power of the pen can never diminish no matter covid 19 covid 20 covid 21 it's never going to disappear that's the real power the power of the pen and that independence of that power absolutely 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 and what personal characteristic do you most attribute your success to courage 
fortitude, discipline. I think above all courage, the courage to swim against the tide, the courage to say that I don't like this and to put it in print and the courage to say no, Thomas, when everyone's doing it, to say no, to say no to big jobs from big media houses when all they want you to do is dress up and do marketing for them. That's all they want you to do. They want you to say, okay, now market our product, do events. I would say, no, do let's do good content. To be able to say no to that cushy job, to say no to money, to say, no, I'll do, I'll do a lesser job with lesser money. I'll work in a place where they respect my content and they respect what I write and they give me freedom to write what I want to write. And many people have over the course of the years, which is a testament to what you've chosen. Absolutely. And that's how you're going to survive, Thomas, frankly. Because I've seen a lot of people who tore the line and still lose their jobs. So at least I have this great feeling of satisfaction that I never towed the line. It's fine. You know, I'll get there. I'll get there slowly. I won't run. I'll get there. I'll get there at snail's pace, but I'll get there. And you know, uh, Thomas, frankly, on a philosophical note, we all have our own trajectories, right? We all have our own journeys, right? So true. Yeah. And everybody's journey is different. You know, we're all individuals. So why should I say that I got left behind and she's got here and he's got there and I don't have this. And that's a very myopic way of looking at it, frankly. True test of character is to be happy with what you have. And I'm very happy with what I have. And I'm very happy with what I achieved. Coming from a middle-class family with no exposure to fashion, with very middle-class parents who always gave me a book on my birthday, who never gave me a new outfit, who always told me, if you read, you can see the world through books. If you develop your brain, it'll help you look for solutions. So I'm very happy for my middle-class um, upbringing, uh, Thomas. When I sit in the front row, with all the women wearing Gucci's and Armani's and carrying all gifted bags, and I go in my simple clothes, I feel I'm much smarter than them. I don't feel in any way I'm lesser than them. I think I know more than them because I read more than them. And maybe I didn't have privilege and that didn't make me lazy. I did everything on my own. So I'm proud of that. And I'm very proud of what I've achieved. Wonderful. With no godfather, with no help, with doing everything on your own. Every day you dig you dig and you have water. Like I said, the one who cuts the forest knows the challenges of the wild. So I did cut the forest and I made my way through the forest. I have great respect for that. Thank you, Thomas. Of course. And one last question. What advice would you give to someone who has the desire to step out on a new career path or who would like to create a career based on the things they love and believe in? That's a very good question. Um, I would say... There's something called the sixth sense, intuition. If you feel you can do it, please do it. I never thought that I would make it in fashion because it's a reserve of people who always get access behind the velvet ropes. I always thought I'm going to be this side of the velvet ropes, never that side of the velvet ropes. But I made it to the other side of the velvet ropes, right? So I feel if you have a will, there's always a way. So chase your dream. I have one advice to people who want a career path, any career path. You have to be truly soaked in what you want to do. It cannot be half-baked. It cannot be 50%. It has to be 100%. And I must say that even if you work hard 90%, Thomas, 10% is luck. Yes. So a lot is dependent on luck. You may be the most talented, the most meritorious person in the world, but luck has to favor you, even if it's 10% of that 100%. That is also so very true. And unavoidably true. Thank you. This has been wonderful. I appreciate your taking the time. It's been very insightful. 
thank you thomas thank you for for inviting me thank you very much for asking me such wonderful questions and thank you for so patiently listening to me thank you for listening please join us next time on thomas werner podcast